Welcome to the Speak Up Talk Radio Network, the Authors on Fire podcast. I am Pat Rulo, here today with a Firebird Book Award winning author to share with you. She is Nora Dekvisis, and her winning book is titled Zen Rohatsu. Nora is an American best-selling nonfiction author and haiku poet. She has a long history of presenting events, retreats, and seminars focused on wellness and stress reduction techniques. Her published nonfiction includes Amazon number one bestseller, Haiku, Nature's Meditation, and paperbacks and ebooks on topics such as time management, guided visualizations, gratitude, equanimity, journaling, and Zen meditation. In June of 2017, she added novelist to her list with the publication of Twin Flame, which was written with a co-author. There are so many fascinating layers to Nora, and I am so looking forward to finding out more. Welcome to the network, Nora. Well, thank you so much for having me, and I was also looking forward to this and thrilled to do it with you, Pat. No, you're so kind. Congratulations on winning the Firebird Book Award. Yeah, that was very exciting. Zen uh, Rahatsu was relatively well-received by the critics and the reviews, but it was my first book award for Zen Rahatsu. Oh, well, I'm happy it was us, and I'm happy that we're having this opportunity to talk. There's just so much I want to talk with you about. Let's dig in, then, to Zen Rohatsu, kind of an A to Z of Zen. Just share a bit of the book so our listeners have an idea of what they can expect when they get their copy. Well, Zen Rahatsu begins right right on page one with King Huni, or walking meditation in Zen. And I thought I'd do, do it that way in a guided visualization so that people would understand fairly quickly uh, that this is a very traditional practice from the primary source. This is the way we think Siddhartha Gautama or the historical Buddha walked in meditation uh, 2,700 years ago. And writing a little bit about the Buddha, Buddha then, I did it chronologically uh, from his day, from his amazing enlightenment. And that happened to occur uh, on the eighth day of the twelfth month, which is Zen Rohatsu, December the eighth. We we uh, suspect that's when he sat by that fig tree and had an amazing enlightenment that created his noble path or middle path, uh, as some people prefer to call it. So the book is about that, starting back uh, on that day, many many years ago, up to the present time the way in which uh, I have been uh, a Zen meditator for going on two and a half decades. What drew you to that initially, two and a half decades? Was there something that happened in your life where you thought, this makes sense to me? Yes, I have come to conclude uh, that all paths toward spiritual practice are the result of life-changing trauma. And life-changing trauma, in my case, was the sudden death of my father when I was very young, 11 years old. And at that point in time, um, the concepts uh, of Zen, the ethics, the school way of life uh, was not known to me. Uh, it wasn't until high school, grad school, college, uh, you know, well into my adult life that I started reading. And I read Herman Hesse, and he was a novelist. And he wrote Siddhartha. And that was a real eye-opener. Uh, I believe that was in college. And it was fascinating to me to, you know, take a look at an alternative 
uh, basically to, to what I've been taught. And although you can certainly do both, you know, have your religion and have your spiritual program, a philosophical base, um, I thought, you know, I would pursue it, which I did. And fortunately, at that point, we moved from New Jersey to Los Angeles, where Zen was very popular. And that's how it started, and uh, I've been a Zen meditator ever since, and now I'm back in the East, and I have a nice little sangha here in the East, and we meditate, and I've met some wonderful people who are also Zen meditators. I always love to hear people's journeys because where we are today is always, oh, I don't know, the distillation perhaps of of life and what happened to us along the way. And I get that you decided to be all in with this. Although some people, you know, attended my retreats, would come for the weekend and love it and meditate. And at the next retreat, I'd say, how's your meditation going? Uh And they'd say, you know, I just can't, I can't find the time. I can't quite fit that in. And that's a personal journey. Mm -hmm. I totally understand that. Um, I do fit it in. It's very much a part of my day on a daily basis. And it has brought me um, great serenity and uh, omitted a great deal of the mental disquietude. It probably would have come uh, if I didn't have it, particularly during pandemic. That was taking me to my next thought was that given the world we live in today, and, and I think it was um, heightened by the pandemic, where stress and anxiety are heightened, how do people go about incorporating this into their lives? Any suggestions for those who want to? And as you say, they go to the retreat because obviously they have an interest and a desire, but they can't maintain it. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think they need to find a meditative practice or a spiritual practice, which is really my preferred way uh, of looking at it. It resonates with them. Uh, I had tried a couple dozen uh, in, in grad school. And this one just stayed with me. Again, uh, this was, you know, this is my personal personal choice. But there are so many. And uh, both in the East and the West in the United States, there are huge pockets in Zen uh, in the West. And, and you know, uh, Tibetans, uh, you know, in the East. Fabulous ways to enter a spiritual practice and readily available, unlike you know, back in the day for me, where I had to go hunt down books, the Internet makes this readily available. I did write um, what I call, what I think of as a nonfiction trilogy. I started from the generalization of the retreats and seminars that I was doing, uh, and that book is called the Spiritual Portal, so that there are a multitude uh, of portals toward a spiritual practice. And that would enable people, you know, then to proceed. Some people enter yoga and end up becoming Zen meditators, and sometimes it's the other way around. Um, I then wrote uh, Multicultural Mindfulness so that I would take a tour internationally and look at the way in which people are mindful, uh, practice equanimity, and practice uh, spirituality. And Multicultural Mindfulness... Um, it actually gives very specifics on the way in which you can incorporate some of these. And then I got specific with Zen Wahatsu and said, well, this is mine. Hi there. This is my journey. This is what, you know, this is what uh, I do. Uh, it works extremely well for me. And, you know, you can just enter a Sangha. Monks will teach you how to sit on a Zafu and a Zabuton. Monks will teach you uh, how to sit in a Zen and walk 
Qingheen, which is the name of uh, walking meditation. Um, there are wonderful teachers everywhere around the world. Mm-hmm. So you do think that we need a teacher. We need somebody experienced to guide us through. It's not necessarily something we can pick up on our own. I do. Okay. I do. Mm-hmm. I think that's an important part, and I think we need a sangha, which is another word for a um, a unit of people, sometimes like-minded, sometimes not. You know, one of the interesting things about that concept um, is who, who's to say who's like-minded? Mm-hmm. You know, you're like-minded in the fact that you all want a spiritual practice, but, you know, it might be very different. Some, some people eat meat, some people don't eat meat, you know, that sort of thing. But what, what occurs... Uh, with a group, a sangha, and what occurs um, practicing the Dharma or what the, the historical Buddha taught um, is a is a wonderful blend of being able to succeed uh, in this practice, which is why I tried to create um, uh, you know some semblance of what we were doing uh, on retreats and bring the vast majority of these people back into sanghas in their various areas. And the ones who joined Sanghas, uh, and it, the ones who felt that this was good for them, um, are still at it. You mentioned the word equanimity. I wonder if this spiritual practice, does it attract people who are already have that quality of being calm and even tempered? You know, people that seem to have that uh, kind of inherent composure or not? Can it be learned? Yeah, it's definitely um, learned. And equanimity is, is, as you said, uh, in addition, it, it's really a practice of underreacting. Mm-hmm. Just underreacting, becoming an observer, stepping back and becoming an observer. So equanimity is a practice in and of itself. I will be teaching a major course in equanimity and gratitude journaling at the end of this year. And again, teaching and understanding it by, you know, going through a certain process helps. I don't know that it's as important as the Sangha, but I think it is uh, something that will be well-received. Uh, I just completed teaching uh, the path to the spiritual practice with the same nonprofit, and it was extremely well-received. They People came from all walks of life, and um, I had one email that was lovely from a dentist who said, that was amazing. That just transformed my, my three practices, and, you know, it was good hearing from him. It was good getting feedback, but it was also good to know that what I was doing I had had some merit. So you've written some forty books. So there's a lot that people can learn from you on various topics, just from all that you've written these last years. I've, yes, and I've hand uh, picked probably about ten, um, and I actually teach sometimes from the books. Of course, that's not a good teacher. Um, I also, you know, supply it as a textbook to the class, but, you know, I add to it as we go along and I take a lot of Q&A and it's generally very well received. So I'm, I'm, I'm really uh, moving about 10 of those books on Amazon right now, Amazon.com. Mm-hmm. And most of them deal with equanimity, most of them deal with uh, Zen uh, meditation. Some of them deal with things like uh, a haiku, um, I even wrote a book on tick-borne diseases because, you know, I thought it was interesting for people to take a look and uh, learn more about it. So, 
I find it, uh, I find it interesting. If I'm interested in something I write about, I like Shinto. I think the Shinto religion is fascinating in Japan. It's impossible to study Zen or haiku and not know a little about Shintoism. Right, right, right. Oh, fabulous. That's why I say you are quite a resource here. I also want to make a comment on your Zen Rohatsu cover. The cover really attracts me. It, it takes me back to when I lived in Arizona. At the We lived at the base of the Superstition Mountains in the Tonto National Forest. So we had 30 acres there that were just studded with saguaro and prickly pear and pinyon, and all of it was surrounded by sandy dirt. So I used to take a rake and walk up and down the property, leaving rake marks in the sand and circling the plants and so when I saw your cover, it, it reminded me of those hot mornings with my rake. And I had to laugh because sometimes I would rake myself into a corner and I wondered how I was going to get out without leaving footprints in my straight lines and swirls. So your cover just brought me back to so many uh, beautiful and hot mornings of raking. Raking and there you were, you were practicing in a Zen garden of your own. Mm -hmm. that, that's a very, uh, you know, very Zen concept, which is why I used that particular concept. Mm -hmm. And that's fabulous that you did that. Oh. You did that without a teacher. There you go. <laughs> I did that without a teacher. Yeah. And you know what? It was almost addictive. Uh, I, I felt compelled to go out there and do that where I either thought about everything. I thought about nothing. It was an interesting mind space. Quite a lovely experience. Keep doing it. Well, I'm back in Ohio, so I don't know unless I cut the grass, and so <laughs> that's my husband's job. So I have to figure out how to how to manage that. Well, you know, we walk through labyrinths. Uh, you know, we we go into many places. You know, in walking meditation, but you can get a little Zen garden right for your desk. Mm -hmm. Yep, I've had those. I have, I have three. I have three. <laughs> Well, I also have cats now. They probably think it was a really cool litter box, so I have to think twice about that. Oh, my gosh. I want to head over to Haiku in a minute, but any more about Zen Rohatsu and the book that you wanted to highlight? No, I see it again as part of uh, you know, a three-part series, right. Spiritual Portals and Multicultural Mindfulness and Zen Rohatsu in combination really answer a lot of the questions that you're asking and hopefully will for other people who might have an interest in pursuing it. Good, good. That's what I like, to be able just to give a tease here and uh, entice people to find out more. And that's why I say all of your books would be great resources, especially this threesome. All righty, my friend. I have always been fascinated by, I guess, the simplicity yet the depth of haiku. And I know you know that I decided to offer a space on our website just for the month of June for those who wish to learn and share their words. And because you are quite knowledgeable about the art, you've written the book, we mentioned haiku, nature's meditation. Maybe just share some thoughts that we should know. Well, I think that looking at haiku for me takes us back to about uh, 1650 when Basho um, invented it. And he did that in Japan. So it's why we call it Japanese haiku. And I think it's important you know, to take a quick look at the history, Basho didn't even call it haiku. That didn't come uh, until much later. And Shiki and Busan and Isa, I mean, these were just giants in the field. So I read everything I could get my hands on uh, until I learned the way the masters did it. Interesting commonality, they were all Buddhists. In fact, Isa um, was a Buddhist priest, which is sort of interesting. 
and in Pureland tradition. So, one of the things that we look at when we uh, start to help people begin the process of learning haiku, which absolutely anyone can do and love doing, is the way in which it's a simple process to accept the fact that one time, one meeting on that path, when you're out in nature, it's really an extraordinary moment. It's sort of a snapshot in time. We actually teach take a picture. So when you go back to write your haiku, you have the snapshot. Uh, and in Japan, they actually have a wonderful phrase, uh, Ichigo, Ichi-a, once in a lifetime. Mm-hmm. We take that back. We take that back, and then we begin the process of looking at seasonal uh, commentary. How how do we want to write about this? And I always suggest you look at the four seasons, and you have a reference pool, sometimes a dictionary of words, uh, and then you go into style. So I'm going to very briefly do that, and if you'd like, um, you know, maybe give you a couple examples yes. of of this style. I've divided the style probably into seven or eight different ways in which to approach writing haiku. I tend to write about nature. Again, that's very traditional. Many people you know, have moved away from that. First is ask questions and then answer them. You know, ask a question. You know, uh, make it very simple. And uh, one of the ways in which uh, the question and answering was done best, and I'm going to start with Basho, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. See, uh, he's asking, you know, where is it? Where is it taking place? Which season? What's the time period? Basho. Blowing stones along the road on Mount Asima the autumn wind. You know exactly where it's taking place when you finish reading the haiku. Yes. It's divided into the English five, seven, uh, five um, uh, syllables, uh, and it's very traditional. The second is juxtaposition, where we're taking separate images and the relationship between them. And that's wonderful, uh, too. Uh, and, and would you like me to read a, a juxtaposition uh, from uh, Basho? Absolutely, yes. Selling a tree and seeing the cut end to night's moon. See, what Basho is doing is expressing a similar look between the ring portion of a cut tree to the full moon. So he's, of course, the master. He invented wow. it. That is just so brilliant. And when you hear it, it's so simple, but it's just absolutely brilliant. I love that. So do I. Yeah. Uh, association is the next one, uh, and again, uh, I guess Basho is one of my favorites, so I'm going to do it again. He's going to associate aging and the loss of youth. This autumn, why am I growing old? Bird disappearing among clouds. Ooh. The simplicity of it yes. is fabulous. Yes. The technique of the 575 is fabulous. Having a dictionary of, you know, words to, to select from and deciding which style now, here's my favorite. I'm going to do my favorite right now. And I, I'm not sure anyone else calls it this, but they might. I call it crescendo. And crescendo is sort of like the evening news where the weatherman comes on at two minutes past 11 and says, wow, Linda's clouds reported 11.26. So you have to sit there for 26 minutes before you find out if it's going to rain the next day. So crescendo is like building up to it, building up to it. And... Using this style, uh, the main subject of the haiku is, you know, gradually exposed throughout the poem. And here's one. By Basho. Autumn moonlight, a worm digs silently into the chestnut. 
feel like you know as much as I do. Oh my gosh, I love these. I'm going to move fairly quickly on the next few. Um, There's general to the specific, there's specific to the general, and then there's realism. And uh, I actually did a couple of modern ones. I'm going to read two if you'd like. You did ask that Mm -hmm. I would do that. Yes, yes, yes. Um, And these were written by me. Okay. A strand of birch trees. Deciduous hardwood gift. Wood makes nice guitar. Ooh. Nora. No, all I'll say on that is my son is an amazing guitarist. <laughs> Here's another. I think you might like this one. Rocks rounded by time, river dead ever changing. The pike stalks its prey. Wow. These are just like little gifts, little fine candies or something that you unwrap and you don't know what you're going to find and it's just so delicious thank you oh my gosh you, you can share more if you like i'm going to give you one funny one just one funny one because i picked i selected three okay ah this is funny <laughs> tall american bows plays commie ancestors ducks through the tory gate Ooh, Kami ancestors. T- yeah, the, uh, the Kami are the, uh, Shinto gods, and, um, you have to go short Tori, which is the entrance to the Shinto shrine. Mm-hmm. So, uh, um, oh. that one was all received in Japan, actually. See, and you get such a visual, don't you? I do, and sometimes, uh, you know, I actually photograph opposite in, in some of the books that I've written oh. about haiku. You know, sometimes we, you know, we just take a picture of a Tori, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm just so in love with all of this. You know, I spend a lot, I try to spend a lot of time outside. We also live on a river. So I get to just wander about early in the morning or in the evening. And, and you, you said something once in a lifetime. And there's, there's so many little mini seconds that I stop and realize this is once in a lifetime. And I always wish, you know, you say you can capture it on a camera, but I wish I had the talent or whatever to be able to capture it in words, and haiku would be just the perfect way to do so. Yes, and you can do both, and you can do it without the camera. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can simply, at that moment, look at it, shut your eyes, mm-hmm. have a clear vision of it, and then write, mm. uh, which is something I suggest uh, when I would take people on nature hikes. They'd always bring a, a pad and pencil. Thank you for this. I really want to encourage folks, and that's why I decided to do Haiku June, just put it out there with no expectations, and I tried to put no rules, you know, nothing. I I didn't want to hinder anyone's thought process by it. So it'll be interesting to see if and what comes back. Yeah, there really are no rules. These are suggestions. This is the way in which some of the masters did. Um, you know, clearly, Basha was like, learn the rules and then forget them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think my favorite part of it is the juxtaposition. I love that unexpected, like, whoa, where did that come from? And yet, wow, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's, it's so seamless, and yet it's a little bit shocking. And and that's what happens. That begins to, you know, one of these resonates for, for me, it's, Crescendo and and juxtaposition as a second, uh, and that's you know you read an entire book. I mean, there are three books just on those types of style, and you can see I went modern. Mm-hmm. I have another one where I have people texting under the trees. You know, it's one of the endings, and it it's well received. It's very well received. Basically, nature is what encompasses these. 
originally, initially, and, you know, to, to some degree, it, it's still the case. Um, uh, things have changed since 1650. Uh, lots of things have changed. Uh, lots of uh, different types of people uh, are writing haiku and should be writing haiku, to, you know, for their enjoyment. Um, so, you know, you, you tend to learn the way the masters did it, and then you go off in any direction. I still tend to write a lot, a great deal about nature, mm-hmm. because I always did, and I think, you know, I probably always will. Oh my gosh, Nora, we have covered a lot today, and there is just so much more, but I'm thinking that we've tickled everybody's brain, and I encourage everybody, especially with the haiku, to get your book, Nature's Meditations, and Rohatsu, and all three books, actually, so that we can learn what we need to know to uh, move forward. I want to make sure we're not missing anything that you wanted to talk about today. Well, I'm, I'm very happy to tell you, uh, you know, where we're going uh, next, yes. and that's very exciting to me. I'm almost finished with my second novel, and that's going to take place in uh, France and Italy. And there'll be lots of good food, I can tell you that much. It's all fiction, and it's been a lot of fun writing that. I'm also going back to that nonprofit. Again, I mentioned um, that I'll be teaching equanimity and gratitude uh, in upstate Pennsylvania. And over the course uh, of the past several months, actually from last year, I met some, several people in the writing community. Most uh, significant for me was a novelist in Aberdeen, Scotland, named Fane Laurie, and he asked me to review his book. I read it. I loved it. Fabulous novel. He's a brilliant novelist. And the common theme for us uh, is Zen and Zazen, and the way in which we pa- practice almost identical Zazen uh, in different, in, you know, in different uh, countries mm-hmm. across, you know, across the pond. And we have then zoomed and decided maybe we would take some of what we've learned over the past few decades into corporate, into the corporate world to help the leadership teach equanimity and mindfulness. So St. Laurie is a, um, is a colleague now and a friend and he calls me his uh, Zen sister and he has been a fabulous find. Um, during pandemic yes. and the commonality Zen is Zen everywhere in the world mm-hmm. I found him as well on Twitter uh, every day he was posting just something so fabulous that I didn't know him I just started following it and commenting on him and he really inspired me as I would walk outside really early in the morning with the with an ash bucket from the wood stove the night before. And I can't tell you how many mornings as I trudged through out to the river that I was thinking of him and what he was writing that morning and thinking how I would perhaps write about my journey with this ash bucket. It's amazing how people you don't know make such an impact on you. And here you are thinking about them and following them and, and learning from them. And they don't even know, for, know you. And here he is in Scotland, and I'm in Ohio. Yes, his, his poetry is beautiful, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, mm-hmm. He actually uh, found me before uh, I started, you know, to follow him. And, uh, I, I, you know, I can't believe that, you know, the review, my review, ended up on the cover of his book. Mm-hmm. So he, he obviously liked my book. Yeah. <laughs> yes. uh, and the rest is sort of history. We'll be opening, um, you know, we'll, we'll be opening the doors to our new business to teach uh, corporate and small business leadership probably in October. Excellent. Oh, yes. Please keep me posted. Anything I can do to facilitate or help or promote or whatever, I'm, I'm, I'm on 
both of your pages, I hope. Yes, yes, I see you, and I love your comments on my vacation. (laughs) All righty, if you would then share any and all contact information so folks know where they can find you and get copies of your books. Well, I I basically sell everything exclusively on Amazon.com. That's fairly easy. Uh, My name is Nora Deckwitz, and I also have a website with some of the reviews and a blog called NoraDeclasis.com. Righty, Nora Declasis. I think that's such a beautiful name and you do such beautiful work. So happy we met. Thank you for today. Let's keep in touch and um, I'm going to practice my haiku writing thanks to you. So thank you for being here today. Nice meeting you, uh, Pat, uh, and nice getting to know you. And thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm thrilled with my book award and... As you can see, it's being highlighted on my Twitter page. (laughs) I saw that. It makes me happy, and so do you. Thank you, Nora. Be well.